This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast. Network. I am Mike Casazza here to preview Saturday's noon home game between West Virginia and unranked Oklahoma. Chris Anderson, this is the 13th time West Virginia and Oklahoma have played. This is the first time Oklahoma is not ranked. Well, really? I mean, not that I don't doubt you, but I, I guess it makes sense the more I think about it. But wow. Wow. Yeah, good one, huh? Mm-hmm. What if I told you I lied? Oh. It's the 14th time. Oklahoma, 11-2, and two, nine straight wins, 13 games overall. But every time they've had the number next to their name, they are not ranked this time. A lot of changes out in Norman. I would say kind of a reversion to the old uh, offense wins, defense plays ways of Oklahoma when things are crazy, but offensive coach goes, he's out West defensive coach comes in offense. Good defense, bad. I wonder how much they miss Lincoln Riley. I wonder how much they miss Alex Grinch. I wonder how much they miss the 20 some players that left for the transfer portal. Huge, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some, some good talent in there that went across the country too. What surprises you most about, as you research here about Oklahoma perception, reality, past, present, there are a number of things that stand out. Curious, quizzing you, what what jumps off the pages at you? I think the first thing mm, I'll say I'll say one one thing, maybe the most surprising thing, but I guess it's related to this, is that they are, in the sense that they lost a ton. And the guys they brought in, there, there was somebody that put it this to me. Not to, this is not to, to kind of downgrade West Virginia here when you're asking me a question about Oklahoma, but I feel like they're in the same boat. Um, somebody said to me, West Virginia lost some dudes and replaced them with some guys. And I think that's an accurate statement. And I think that's an accurate statement for Oklahoma too, because they obviously lost a ton. I think they even lost more players in West Virginia to the transfer portal this offseason but they also added a lot more. You're just not seeing those guys be as big of a difference makers as the guys that left. Obviously they wouldn't be five and four if that were the case, but that's kind of the thing that stands out to me is that, that there were so many players. Cause you, when you think of Oklahoma, when you think of 
recruiting, when you think of blue bloods, I mean, they are, do we consider them a blue blood? Do you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like you just don't think of them having those problems. Those are middle-class West Virginia problems. Those aren't blue blood Oklahoma problems, but they have them. They have the same exact problems West Virginia had. Lost a bunch of dudes, got a bunch of guys struggling this year. And some of the scheme stuff we'll talk about in a minute reflects that. Um, and, and so it's kind of shocking to see that, as you noted, always been ranked. And that's just kind of what you get used to with Oklahoma. And it's just not the case this year. Yeah, going back to Blue Blood here, go back to the start of the 2010 season. So that would be the last Bill Stewart season, just to, to set the one book in for you and go to this past week's game. They lose a close one against Baylor. A lot of football played in between there. They have played eight games where they were not ranked. That's incredible. <laughs> and guess what, Chris? Two yes. of them are this season. Wow. So from the start of 2010 to the start of this season, uh, they had played all but two of their ranked games this year. That were All two of the games that weren't ranked were um, this year. So like this is, this is unfamiliar territory for them. The other part that's kind of scary is that when they're down, air quotes in the office here, they're not really that far down. They're six and two when they're unranked since the start of the 2010 season. They get back up in those polls pretty quickly, or they don't go too far down when you have those resources that can um that can definitely happen there too. So it's a good program. It has been just a kind of a reset this year. And to go to your point about the portal, I don't know if you simplify it too much when you say this, but I think what's going to be common will be that programs inevitably lose players of a range of varieties from very good to very on scholarship and not much more. Right. And then probably yeah. everything in between, but everybody's got the same problems. What separates people are the solutions and the solution here would be who you bring in and what's going to distinguish teams will be who they bring in and, and look at just, let's just use a very simple partner in this equation. USC brought in really good players at the behest of Oklahoma. Right. But still, they're doing well with talent acquisitions. Um, LSU saw this on TV Saturday night. They had, what, 39 players on scholarship, and Brian Kelly arrived, hit the portal hard, got good guys. Now, granted, it's easier at some places than others, but that's going to be a reality here. And if you look at Oklahoma and West Virginia, getting guys is different than getting dudes. And if you don't nail that portal, it seems like more now than ever that's going to really matter. Yeah, I, I mean – it is the new. It is the new recruiting. It is more important than you know. I've always been a Jimmys and Joes over X's and O's guy. I think you need to rely more on your X's and O's when you can't get the Jimmys and Joes. And the way you get those Jimmys and Joes is is transfer portal now. And the way you get them and the way you keep them is more. I I, I think we passed that point. I think it is more important than high school recruit high school and junior college recruiting. It is. Whoa. Really? Yeah, <laughs> I think I think we have reached that point or okay. if we're not there, we're, we're getting close to it. I don't want to spend any time here about the extracurriculars going around the football program, except to say that they exist. Don't know how they're not a factor. Um, period. We'll move on. We might revisit it Saturday evening, Sunday morning. Who knows? Not going to get in that bed again. But. Tuesday's news conference, Neil Brown talks his way through a lot of things. Um, good answers. Answers that sounded good, everything that, that he's known to do. He, he, to me, 
he's kind of proactive when he's in that position, when he's coming out of the corner. He says a lot of things before the questions are asked, in which case you already got an answer. You don't have to ask the question. But also he, he fielded a couple toothy questions on Tuesday. That was fine. Um, you laid out the depth chart this past week. I noticed a new name on the depth chart. I don't know if you happen to see it. Mm. Okay. Starting quarterback. His name is, you'll have to ask JT. <laughs> Last name Daniels. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of questions we got to ask a guy that we can't talk to. What do you make of this? Um, I have, have talked to people. You know who I talk to. You, Chris, not everybody else. But that's an obvious question that comes up. And there are some theories about this. I'm not sure how realistic any of them are. But some people say this guy hasn't played full season in a while. Maybe the arm is just kind of fatigued a little bit. Okay. Okay. Some people say he's injured possible some people say just not very good with the wind i've talked to some people and, and just haven't heard oh, excuse, <laughs> to the to the injury thing the wind has kind of intrigued some people because you could watch that game saturday and see just the punting was extreme when you went from one direction to the other did he have issues with the wind yeah it looked like some of his passes got knocked down but it looks like maybe he's not got a lot of juice on the ball haven't heard that he's injured what i do find interesting though going to the depth chart a new clear backup quarterback, a guy that has not gotten a lot of praise or playing time, uh, that would be Garrett Green from the staff for one reason or another. And Chris, it sure sounds like they're talking about playing him a lot more this week because he had a touchdown drive down 24 at the end of the fourth quarter against Iowa State. I don't know if I don't believe that or if I don't believe that's the cause. Do you see where I'm going here? I do see where you're going because – one, I, I, I'm not in the room, so I didn't see who, who asked the question, but great question about have there been discussions about playing Garrett Green before the game gets out of hand, giving him more opportunities. And Brown, like, I mean, again, we're, we're, we're reading into things here. We're, we're trying to parse through coach speak and what's happening and what they're saying and how it's different than other times. That's really what you're trying to compare it to. Never in his time here have I heard him say, admit, there have been conversations. Those were his words. There have been conversations about that, about playing Garrett Green before garbage time, indicating that, you know, they have openly discussed, at least among the coaching staff, the potential to play Green at quarterback for more, you know, more than like a play or a quick trick play or something like that. And I find it interesting. Like it's, you know, again, maybe we're reading too much into it. Maybe we're trying reaching for something that's not there. But you combine what we saw on the field Saturday, not just the green, not the green part necessarily, but the Daniels part of it, with, hey, you got to go ask Daniels if he's hurt or why he was bad the other day, and we're also having conversations about playing green. You combine all three of those things together, man, like either playing jokes on people or there is something, I don't want to say like super legit, like, you know, something big, something definite happening, but there is a kernel of something here right now. Yep. We'll see. It's, it could be a spark that they're looking for on offense. I mean, he, he may be a guy that, Maybe a guy that's better at tempo or at least like ripping off a couple of plays in a row because they get a big play or they move the chains, whatever. We'll see. They they need some sort of juice here. And then Brown was asked, like, does that touchdown drive at the end of the first half change the thinking? 
I think he said yes, but the way he explained it was that, you know, they kind of got back into it and it's 10 7 instead of 10 nothing. Maybe they found something, you know, that's that's an easy way to explain now. But yeah, he did say that, yeah, you have those conversations and who knows what the conversations are like on that headset from upstairs to downstairs, but it that just felt like a situation that might have caused um, some sort of a change to know there was a conversation that's good. But I do think that touchdown at the end of the first half when it goes to 10 7, all of a sudden, like, hey, let Daniels get in the locker room, let him have some conversations, see some things, walk through some things, and maybe he'll be fine in the second half. Didn't happen. And but Brown did say that he probably should have played green at 24 7 instead of 31 7, which to me is a minor thing, except that he wanted to get him maybe more time, more confidence, maybe more scoring drives. Don't know. We'll see where that goes. I think what this season needs is another soap opera, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's go to the game here, Chris. Noon, FS1, Adam Alexander, Devin Garter, who I've caught his act a couple times. I kind of enjoy him. Home, West Virginia, well, they don't get the home night game here. I kind of thought this would be a lock that due to the 2020 game being canceled after it was postponed, first the postponement by Oklahoma, second the cancellation by West Virginia in the COVID year, Mountaineers lose their first home night game in the Brown era. I don't know. You think with Oklahoma leaving the conference likely sooner rather than later, West Virginia hasn't beaten Oklahoma in the Big 12. Maybe the Big 12 would tee one up and say, hey, how about a home night game? Doesn't happen. Noon, not sure that's better or worse for anybody here. But we do see similarities between these teams. Where would you like to begin? I think the biggest thing for me, the biggest factor, is going to center on West Virginia's offense versus Oklahoma's defense. So you want to start on that side of the ball? Hit me. Let's go. Um, Mike, do you think in Norman they had these long conversations about how much man defense they were going to play this year? Hmm. Never been a Venables thing, right? No, but there were those conversations in Morgantown, right? Absolutely. Um, And currently... They rank, as far as I can tell, this is very uh, unscientific, but looking at it because they have an individual player by player, but looking at the individually, down near the bottom of the entire Big 12, there are two teams that you see with the least number of man coverage snaps. Hmm. Oklahoma, West Virginia, West Virginia, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, West Virginia, Oklahoma, West Virginia. Oklahoma likes zone defense that, like you said, that has always been a Venables thing. So this isn't, um, you know, an injury slash talent thing forcing their hand like it is, say, for West Virginia. Um, But that is notable because we have seen this year that West Virginia struggles. Their wide receivers struggle to get open in man coverage. They struggle to get separation. It is something we have talked about. Since the very first game, it was right after the pit game where you and I were talking and we brought up the point. Hey, it's great that Bryce Ford Wheaton is leading the country in catches in traffic, but why is he being targeted so much in traffic? Why is he, why or contested catches? Why is he targeted so many contested targets, so many contested catches for all these West Virginia receivers? It's great that he's catching them, but they shouldn't be contested. He should be getting separation, and he wasn't. And that's been a recurring theme. Not only for Bryce Ford Wheaton, but almost the entire West Virginia receiving core. And they catch a break, I guess, here. Because looking at some of these percentages, it is almost like 
85-15-90-10 in favor of zone coverage for the corners for Oklahoma. They get cooked on their man, too. Yeah. So, yeah. can't say I don't understand that, but... Well, and then, but who's who's going to do the cooking for West Virginia? Because you look at some of the man stats. This is according to Pro Football Focus. Bryce Ford Wheaton has been targeted 19 times in man coverage. He has six catches. Six out of 19 targets. Overall. That, that six has been six for a while, too, I think, or or pretty close to it. It wouldn't surprise me. And and that's kind of been, uh, he's not, again, he's not alone. You know, Reese Smith, one out of three. Sam James, five out of ten. Um Caden Prather, 8 out of 17. You know, the only one that you can say has been, quote-unquote, successful against man coverage, and I don't believe the sample size is high enough, is Jeremiah Aaron, who's been targeted four times and has three catches. But for the most part, just no separation. Uh, very low is it at 42% as a team. Completion percentage against man coverage on the year. Like So it's a good thing that it's zoned. I'll say that. Venables does some cool stuff. Like it's it's kind of like one high sometimes. Um, I don't I don't want to say Saban like everybody's kind of enamored with Saban's like cover one robber kind of defense, but he does find a way to take away or at least devote a safety to your best receiver. I'm guessing Prather if they if they do indeed go that way, but if you can keep a balance and not have to do that, you're not going to really worry about stuff. Um, Ford Wheaton, big guy, does he have burst off the line to to get and stay open? Don't know. Inside, Sam James has been pretty good. Reese Smith, I think there's concerns about his height and physicality inside against man. That could be problematic. Prather, kind of discouraged by the performance last game. That's For a guy who'd been progressing, that was kind of um, an, an out-of-character performance there. I don't know if, if Oklahoma's going to be very exotic against West Virginia's defense, or excuse me, offense. Needs to be, maybe we'll see. Um, it does sound like talking to some of the coaches on Tuesday and just reading some things from Oklahoma's news conferences lately, they've kind of simplified their defense and they're maybe not better at it, but not making the huge mistakes where you're chasing people for, for long touchdowns. And if you watch that TCU game, four touchdowns of 60 something yards or more, they go with 62 yard plus touchdowns Four. nobody in the FBS had done that this season. Granted, TCU is like a different outfit offensively, but I think that was part of the reason that they kind of said, what we're doing right now isn't working. Maybe we can get back to it. Kind of made it simple here. The question then is, can West Virginia conquer the simple? Can they make the plays and, and kind of march down the field absent the, the big shot plays? They, they had some chances for big plays the past two games, and this didn't hit them. Um, should be there against Oklahoma, you would think. But does Oklahoma not roll the dice? Do they not go exotic or risky and just kind of continue to be simple and maybe more effective by minimizing the the margin for error that they could create with something more complex. There is if if Oklahoma won't get complex, maybe West Virginia can get complex and force them into getting complex. I don't know how many times I can say that, but um it's a little different. I, I got to thinking about maybe one of my favorite kind of points that we made on this podcast and that I put into three keys. It was last year's TCU game. And I'd pointed out that D winters, their linebacker was terrible in coverage and you needed to find ways to get him in a covers defense, you know, get him out of the box, get him on a receiver. And during our podcast, you brought up, yeah, that, that would involve doing things like 
bunch of formations, trips to one side, motion, getting some, getting him on somebody and putting them, as you put it, putting them in conflict. And not the very next day when the game happened, that is exactly what West Virginia did. They bun- did bunch formations. They did trips. They did whatever. Got D winners in coverage and ate him alive. Now, TCU runs a lot of man. A lot of man. Um, Oklahoma's not going to do that. So it's it's kind of difficult to get guys in conflict, get them in coverage like that. But if you can have multiple players going through his zone, um, uh, his zone, not D Winter's zone, but uh, Oklahoma has a, <clears throat> excuse me, a similar issue with their linebacking core and pass coverage. Uh, Stutzman and now help me out, Mike. You're always way better at this. Uguegu? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll take, I'll take your word for it. In pass defense this year, 45 of 57 for 504 yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, teams are just eating them apart. Again, it's not as easy. It, it's never easy, but against TCU, they're in man all the time. You can bunch them. You can switch them. You can rub, do rub plays, pick plays, whatever, and, and put that linebacker in conflict. These guys are going to be running zone, so you're going to have to run multiple players through their zones, whether that be you know one after the other or at different levels, one short, one one a little deeper. But you need to put those linebackers in 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 coverage and in conflict in another way. And I think West Virginia could just eat them apart. David Uguebu. Want to write that on the board? I will. Hey, Uguebu. Okay. I didn't get that little extra A there in the middle. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the, the OE turns into an A. It's a long story short. Um, do you sense that one way to burst pipes, to create pressure, maybe it's not so much in formations or trying to motion a whole bunch of things with – I don't think that the sight of Traylon Davis and, and Brian Palendi moving around before the snap is going to spook Oklahoma. I think what might spook Oklahoma is hurrying from a third and two, seven-yard run, first and ten, getting from that third down to first down very fast, jumping into tempo, Chris. That seems like if they can get it, they might try to sustain it. They were not happy about getting 49 snaps, getting um, just just no pepper on anything Saturday. Playing slowly, granted, it's, it's very hard to get into tempo when you have seven three and outs. You really need to have that initial first down to jump into tempo. But we've watched a little bit of West Virginia defense this year. One way to really frazzle a defense is to play fast. That does sound like an initiative for this week. That would help. Yes, it would. And I think Graham Harrell talked about that a little bit and and trying to, but he he kept focusing on that. You got to get that first first down. Got to get that first first down to really get in the tempo. And it was, uh, I, I don't recall what the end end game stats were, but <clears throat> I believe it was halftime where I pointed out the first play of the first downs for West Virginia up to that point. And the first plays were like six yards, five yards, four yards, six yards, seven yards, four yards, 15 yards, 10 yards. And they still couldn't get drives going. If you are starting a drive averaging five, six yards per play, your drive should last longer than three plays. Like, that seems pretty basic. Um, but they couldn't. And, and it was because they, they weren't in third and longs. It didn't feel like they were in a lot of third and nines, third and elevens. They were in third and fours, third and threes, and just couldn't convert. And 
I do think tempo will help that. I know Grand Prix kept saying, yeah, once you get that first first down, then you can hurry up. It, it's okay to hurry up on second down, especially when you get six, seven yards on first down. Hurry, hurry up. Get up there. Do a little read option. Get a little run. Try to break a little seam there and get a first down again. Um, but I do think I'm with you uh, based off what they're saying and what has worked. Tempo, tempo, tempo on Saturday. Get a little nerdy here for a second, if you don't mind, Chris. Uh, just right now? Right yeah. <laughs> right here. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned this last week, too, that third downs would be tricky against Iowa State because they they just shut you down. So you had to be good on first and second downs. And you can find um, different different metrics, different places that provide this. Um, one I like is uh, CFB graphs. They do some cool stuff here about previewing every game. But one metric I have I really like is the percent of first downs you get on first and second down. This is very simple. If you stay on a third down, you don't have to worry about third down conversions or fourth down conversions or punt field goal decisions, anything like that. So if you're good on first and second down, getting first and second, getting first downs, you probably have a good offense. Um, the defense for Oklahoma, 85th in the country in percent first downs on first or second down. So they're giving up a lot of first downs on first and second down. I want to say that Iowa State was the complete opposite. As far as Oklahoma is from the bottom, which is not very far, Iowa State was that far from the top. Their early down EPA, if you're not familiar with EPA, expected points added, that basically just has a formulaic way of turning yards into points. 90th based on the success that they allow on first down. So they're actually worse. Um, they're not great on first and second down. They're also not great on third and fourth down too. But if you're West Virginia, you're trying to get something going here, get an early first down on first or second down, this is a team to do it against. Uh, trouble for West Virginia is that they've kind of slid on their first down success rate. They were averaging a lot before, kind of been quieted down a little bit. Last week's kind of a misnomer with only 11, but they haven't been as uh, productive on first downs. They've gotten into longer second, third downs, but get right opponent, possibly, possibly not. We'll see, but this is kind of, you know, deep enough into the season, you can look at some of these stats and say, all right, there are patterns here. And more importantly, there are opponents for, not an entire season, but of late have looked at things that these stats are starting to tell me a story. Can I add to it? And if you just look at the first downs that Oklahoma's given up on first and second down the past few games, teams are aggressive. They're trying to get to their good stuff right away. Drive starters, first down grabbers, early in drives. That's a big part of the game plan for West, West Virginia. Can they get out of third downs and away from third downs and then jump into tempo? I think it's a huge deal here too. Um, what do you make of the line matchups here? Because I have a theory if you, if you want to start though. No, I'll give this to you. I'll let you take it. So we're still talking Oklahoma's defense, right? Mm-hmm. Pushed around by Baylor's offensive line yep. to the point that coaches are very mad about it. It was a big talking point down there this week about how they were just out physical. They have players on Baylor's side that have played a lot of football in college and together. They ran for almost 300 yards. Um, get Tony Mathis back. Pretty happy with Justin Johnson. Chris, you might even see Jalen Anderson. Who knows? Didn't carry the ball, but was good in the run game. I'm sure I understood that one. Uh, but, yes, very physical. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> but whatever. So physical is a good word. Can you just pound away at these guys with an offensive line that has played a lot together, can be physical, will not have James Gamitter, and might have seen the last of James Gamitter. We'll see. But you haven't heard Tomas Remach's name, right? That's not bad. Physical, physical, physical. When West Virginia is at its best, they're pushing people around. You're as good as your last game, which is not very good for Oklahoma here. 
here we are talking about the quarterbacks, the man-to-man defense here. This just feels like a game where if West Virginia could run it 40, 45 times, they would love that. Big 12 play, our average yards per rush for the teams playing against Oklahoma for the opponents. 5.6, 8.8, 5.9, 4.7, 2.4, that's Iowa State, 5.9. Like, it's not, it's not rocket science. Like, they can't stop the run. If you can run, run the ball. Every direction they've given up yards to. You look at, I, don't know, I haven't looked mm-hmm. at all the zone power stuff too, but you look at where they've been, where they've been hit, they've been up long runs. That's been great, which is weird. They don't, this, this is why this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. They do not get a lot of sacks, they get a lot of TFLs, but they have a bad run defense. Like, what, what has been their issue here on, on that side and that part of the game? I, I'm with you because I was looking at that. I was like, all right, let's see which way I, I know opposing teams can run. Is there a certain area where Oklahoma is weaker against the run than other spots? And I went game by game where, you know, between the guards, between the tackles outside. And it was like one game, the opposing team just ran up the middle and averaged seven yards a carry. The next game, they could only get two yards per carry up the middle, but they went outside and got six yards per carry. And the next game, they love to run to the left. And the next game, they love to run to the right. So I, I don't know if they're, they're someone scheming ahead of Oklahoma and, and just figuring out what they're trying to do and going the opposite direction or what. But it's not just one spot on Oklahoma's run defense that's the problem. It is kind of all over. Let's flip. West Virginia defense, Oklahoma offense. Here's what's scary. Oklahoma's offense is still pretty good. And... Brought Jeff Lebby. He got his quarterback. It's been pretty good. And I think that what what may get your attention here is if you look at the season as a whole and you figure out when it has not been whole, it's when they didn't have Dylan Gabriel and they got boat raced by TCU and then again Oklahoma lost to Texas without Gabriel too. So backup quarterback, not great, which is a weird thing because Oklahoma's had good backup quarterbacks for about as long as I can remember. But that skews... I mean, never mind stats, maybe win-loss record, too. They might beat TCU. Who knows? That game might be 70-63 to 63 or something like that. I can't believe they lose 49 nothing with Gabriel to, to Texas. I'm not saying that they're two wins better, but maybe one possibility for two. Point being, I wonder how much the stats are skewed by not having Gabriel, who has been very good. I think up until last week, he had one interception. He threw three last week. But... It's kind of easy to look at their record and say, well, the offense must not be that good. The offense is still pretty good. And again, you can look at playing stats, rankings, NCAA stats, some of the advanced things, the metrics, all that stuff. They're they're top 25 in a lot of major, major categories. And that's counting two games without the ringleader. Yeah, in the seven games where he has been in the game and healthy for the entire game, you know, he got knocked out in the TCU game. Um, missed the Texas game. So in the other seven games, Oklahoma is averaging 40 points per game. And they are, what, five and five and one in those games? Mm-hmm. And no, wait, one, two, three, four, five. How many games have they played? Yeah, nine. Why am I getting confused by this? All right, but anyway. So, and then in the other games, what, zero points and 24? And how many of those 24 came after he got hurt? Because I think they it was no they were getting what pretty good early 
Um, but still, this is a team that that thrives, like most others, off their star quarterback. And, and Oklahoma has been good offensively. They have been great, maybe, with Gabriel healthy and under center. When he's not healthy, when he's not under center, they struggle. So this is a this is a team that can at any point score 35, 40, 50 points on Saturday afternoon against West Virginia's defense. Yeah. Um West Virginia's defense is low. Um in a lot of the areas where Oklahoma is high. So that's that's concerning. The one reason the one place they're about even, I guess, is that the defense that West Virginia's field position, excuse me, the field position that West Virginia's defense starts with, which is not great because special teams, is about the same as Oklahoma's field position on offense because they're not great at special teams. But Oklahoma, the difference being, can make up for it with plays. Um, West Virginia's defense has not been able to deal with short fields and momentum from special teams. The field position has been a problem there. Um, the handing off has been pretty good this year. Uh, Gray from Tennessee been there a couple years now has settled in he's about near a thousand yards also one of their leading receivers that that offense is is good when they have a whole bunch of people who can catch it receivers come to mind but they've always had tight ends or those h-backs who are kind of tricky it's another level when they have a running back who comes out of the backfield who lines up in different spots and can make plays too uh, gray has been a problem for a lot of teams this year i don't think that west virginia has seen a receiving running back like this yet Kind of wondering, and, and maybe the defense would be worried about Gray out of the backfield against some of the linebackers who might be chasing him. Um, sounds like they'll have Lance Dixon back, so that might help for the spear. But also, man, you saw it when TCU flattened out the running backs a couple times, and it caused confusion at that second level for West Virginia's defense. Next thing you know, Lee Cobb is chasing Tay Barber on the long touchdown. It, it's a good chess piece to have because they can use and they can use him as a decoy. Um, a really good season for him. And, and again, a big part of the success in their offense. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you have a dual threat back there, that really creates issues. I, we talked earlier about creating conflict. That's going to create conflict. Um, just like the one you talked about with Lee Coba, Jason Tay Barber down when it, it shouldn't have been him. It should have been, I believe, later Jordan Leslie said, was it Burks? A bit on, speaking of a running back flaring out to the outside and, and Burks kind of guessed that the pass was going there and guessed wrong. And so that you, you already see it there. They didn't even throw it to the running back, but just having that receiving threat in the running back position creates so many issues and so many conflicts for the defense. And quite frankly, a defense that struggles with those decisions with those choices. So it, it is something that could really cause some more issues for West Virginia's defense and, the other thing I'm watching with that running back and with West Virginia's defense, we're going to find out how true it is what Jordan Leslie said earlier this year, that he felt that this was one of the fastest defenses he's ever had, that they could fly all over the field because they're going to have to go sideline to sideline in this one. Um, Oklahoma goes outside edge, like outside of tackle, outside of the end, all the way outside, uh, throw in jet sweeps, end arounds, actual reverses. And they do that more than any team that West Virginia has faced this year and by a pretty good margin. So this is going to be a game for those linebackers, not only to be following uh, Gray and others around uh, for potential swing passes and whatnot, but also going sideline to sideline because they are going to run out there a lot. 
Guess what, Chris? Mm. Play fast too. Yeah, like they're a little bit faster than Texas Tech, I think. If I if I remember seeing the rankings here, like the the seconds per play or plays per second, I guess my bad. No, seconds per play. They're I forget what I was a little bit faster than Texas Tech. We saw Texas Tech's warp speed really give West Virginia trouble. Um, they they don't really do a ton of exotic stuff like with pre snap things. But for example, if you look at some of the counts and you watch their, their films, um, again they can move Gray around. Braden Willis is, is kind of a weapon. He could be in the backfield. He could be a tight end H-back. He could be in the slot. I'm trying to think of it. Mims plays mostly – actually, he's he's not even 50-50. He's, he's a little bit beyond 50-50, but he'll play inside and outside is my point. They they can move those guys around. If they're, in, if they're one spot on one play and it works and they go to the same formation, they can have the same formation but be just a little bit different by moving their players around and still get to the same play. That's going to be a challenge for West Virginia. Are they better now than they were against Tempo? You would hope so. I don't think it's quite as diabolical as, as you know, when it comes to formations, for example, as you saw against Kansas. The Tempo may not be just as consistent and intentional as Texas Tech. But for a long, long time, like, Oklahoma's been as good as anybody at Tempo, and I think that was one reason that Jeff Levy was such a good idea to bring in. Like, he did fit, but also that guy played super fast, um, especially at Ole Miss with, with Lane Kiffin. It, again, this seems like more of the same for West Virginia's defense as far as what to be prepared for and what to stop. And if we're talking about ways that teams have attacked Oklahoma's defense because of things they've seen on film, early downs like we were talking about, well, imagine what you're going to do when you see West Virginia's defense. You're going to try to short-circuit them in the back end and make them make mistakes. Um, that's happened pretty consistently. I don't know why Oklahoma wouldn't press the pedal here to the floor, try to go fast, and try to force some errors. Uh, to answer your question, I'm looking at it here. Week 10, Oklahoma is seventh nationally in plays per minute. Um, it's a little behind Texas Tech. Not They were ahead of Texas Tech for a good portion of the year. Uh, currently just slightly behind. I think you obviously slow things down when you don't have Dylan Gabriel for a couple games. But when they have Gabriel, they're moving a little faster. Um, Mike, I need you to answer me this question then. Because I think mm-hmm. we're at the portion of the podcast where someone's already tweeting at us, oh, so this is the greatest team West Virginia's ever played. Um, we get that every single time we do a preview podcast. Well, we've been right six times this year, right? <laughs> um, so. To recap what we just said, what you just said, Oklahoma goes fast. They move a lot. They have versatile players that switch positions. They like to confuse opposing defenses. They can run. They can pass. They have a mobile quarterback. What exactly is the hope that West Virginia's defense is going to stop them? What is it that they could possibly do that might give you hope that they can put up a fight on Saturday? Well, you know where they're going when they run the ball, right? Yeah. And if you got Dixon back, you might be better at the spear spot, so that could help. Um, For three straight games in Morgantown, Oklahoma has run for more than 300 yards. Average 307, above 300 every time. They've played Morgantown four times. The exception was a game where they had like 107 yards. Granted, Landry Jones threw for like 800 yards that game, but that was a good running team that just couldn't run against West Virginia's defense. So 
run game, maybe you succeed there too. And again, like Gabriel, three picks last week. And if you, if again, if you read some of the things that the coaches talk about, penalties, discipline, turnovers, efficiency, those are hallmarks of teams that are just kind of five and four or three and six. It's harder on the road, just is. And can West Virginia make something happen? Can they get cooking on offense? Can they get into tempo? If their offense is good, that's going to put a lot of pressure on Oklahoma's offense too. Trouble is Oklahoma's offense is, again, if you look at it, their numbers, you can pick a stat, efficiency, explosiveness, whatever. They're good. They're good. Like that hasn't been their issue. Their, their issue has been their defense here. And if you're West Virginia, you probably like your chances getting back to normal or more toward normal against that secondary. And um, again, if, if Daniels is protected, not going to get sacked a whole lot or pressured a whole lot. He can take aim at a defense that um, has not been as exotic lately that, that could really help West Virginia's defense answer scores, um, build leads, remove deficits, whatever. If they can punch back or punch first, that's good. It, you just said something there. I want to ask you about again, and and maybe this is this isn't part of our analytical preview. This is more of a a mental state, a thought provoking discussion, because this is something that's been going on for a few weeks now, and and it's continued. Well, I haven't seen it publicly, but it, it feels like it. And then a comment was made Tuesday um, where one side of the ball plays well and the other side doesn't, whether it's a quarter, a half, a full game, a couple games. Now, more often than not, it's been the defense struggling. And But there have been stretches here. I think I would – I feel comfortable in saying 10 of the last 12 quarters have been bad offensive football. Is that too strong? Maybe Ooh. nine of the last twelve quarters. Hmm. Quarters. Um. Yeah, I'd have a hard time arguing with that. I so basically, the that. first half of first half of TCU, those two quarters are good, great, actually. Yep. But other than that, what has West Virginia's offense done the last three games? Hasn't been um, good. And so then you flip it because this this is frustrating. It is a thing. It has always been a thing where one side of the ball can do something and the other side can't, and there's frustration mounting. Um, there were reports that the uh, during the TCU game, there were reports during the TCU game of West Virginia's offensive players and defensive players getting frustrated with each other. I, in the first half, the offense getting frustrated with the defense because they couldn't get a stop to save their lives, and then you flip it in the second half, and all of a sudden, defense is playing great. And the offense can't do anything. Um, and then Jordan Leslie is doing his interview on Tuesday afternoon. And he says something to the effect of, you know, somebody's asking, asked him about the performance against Iowa State. And he said, you know, hey, this, it was good. It was great for three quarters. And then uh, basically it just got to a point where the defense was, he didn't use the word frustrated, but they were frustrated that the offense wasn't doing anything. So then they felt they needed to do even more, which then got them out of their lanes and resulted in a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Does that carry over week to week? Like, is there going to come a point where both sides of the ball both do their jobs here, Mike? It has to. Otherwise, they'll lose Saturday. There's, right. That's that's 100% true. Like, if they if they play good defense but score 13 points, that's going to lose. And if they score 31 but give up 38, that's going to lose. So that's, I mean, that's that's an important thing. Um, not to refine it too much, but I would really, really pay attention to the red zone and touchdowns instead of field goals. Not because the old like seven's greater than three, but they're both bad. 
red zone defenses. Um, 119 and 120 in touchdown percentage, which means that they give up a touchdown instead of a field goal. 119 and 120. Oklahoma's offense, 18th in touchdown percentage in the red zone. West Virginia, much further down, 67th, about 10 points lower. Um, that's going to be a big difference there, too. So if the defense can just stand up and push back in the red zone, and listen, if you go with five field goals, it's better than five touchdowns. Um, it would help if West Virginia's offense got into the red zone, but also if they started hanging up extra points for Casey Leg instead of field goals for Casey Leg, that would be good, too. So that would be one thing in particular where maybe it's a small thing. You know, maybe maybe they give up a lot of yards or points. Maybe they're not terribly uh, explosive on offense, whatever. But if just they can have a minor overlap, a minor intersection of good play inside the 20 where they give up field goals and they score touchdowns, that would be a big victory. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting one Saturday, Mike. Like I did, the, the uh, both sides getting frustrated with the other side thing is is just something that's been sticking with me. Of late. Let's just put it that way. Natural, too. The fact that it hasn't been more obvious or more spoken is probably a good sign. This team has been pretty good about kind of keeping their um, keeping their cool, I think. And they've, they've certainly had reasons to go the other direction. They haven't done that. Um, but we'll see. This game, this game means a lot for obvious reasons. And I'll give you a really big one here. Um, two years ago, West Virginia embarrassed at Iowa State. 42 to 6, right? Kind of, kind of wheezing into that game because of COVID, the end of a long season, tons of players out, contact tracing, all that stuff, um, and just didn't have any of that fire that you would think last week. That's apparent, and that's surprising because West Virginia beat Iowa State the year before. You figure that has some confidence they would come out on the front foot. Did not. Never beat Oklahoma. Given up just a ton of points and yards. I forget the average is like fifty points and five hundred yards at home. So, hey, why don't you play well at home? Why don't you get them for the first time? That'd be cool. Chris, think about this, though. When they lost last year's game 16-13, to 13, do you remember how high on the supply West Virginia was? <laughs> we'll see them in Dallas. Yes, I was going to say that. That's what I was the 2 a.m. tweet of. We'll see them in Dallas. Yep. 7-11 and 11 since then. That's not a Big 12 championship team, right? But mm-hmm. at, at some point, like, you have to believe these things to say them, but you have to do them to believe them. And I just – I say this a lot. Like, sometimes I just don't know who they're trying to convince when they say these things. And, and that one stands out to me right now. You can punctuate it. Last chance, maybe, for a lot of these players, for, for a lot of who knows how many people, because things could change very much next year, whether it's the coach or whether it's the constitution of the conference, I guess. But, like, if you go over – in your career against a team, or when's the next time that Oklahoma might play West Virginia? In a bowl game, maybe? Yep. No guarantees there. It just seems like that, if not now, when? We say that a lot about this team, and obviously the not now is, has been answered a bunch. But I just can't go, can't get past that, that this team thought they were so close, you know, a season and change ago, and have taken further steps from the goal since then. Well, I guess we'll find out Saturday. We will. Noon. FS1. We will have pregame, in-game, post-game coverage, but plenty in the days to come here. By the numbers, the fresh set. The day Grim Harrell threw 72 passes against Oklahoma. If we'll find JT Daniels and ask him a question. Maybe. 
What do you have, Chris? Uh, I'll have my three keys. Got some more recruiting stuff coming up. Um, we got basketball Friday night. Um, and yeah, recruiting is going to get weird. Like I'm prepared for it. Oh, again, we don't want to get too off topic here. I mean, nothing in particular. There's nothing that I'm sitting on right now. It's just, it feels like it's going to get weird and, and for obvious reasons. Can't imagine what those would be. Nope. The future of the big 12. Mm-hmm. Grant of rights. We'll see. Lots of stuff coming on. Uh, busy Friday. Leave it at that. Until then, I'm Mike Casazza. I know I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then.